cliffcentral.com Absolutely love the song and haven't heard it in a minute but I think today is definitely the day. It's International Women's Day. It's the 8th of March and we love women up in here. You're listening to Womanda and I'm Pumima Shekho. Today we've got a Special show lined up simply because today's that day we're going to be anti all of the crap, right, girls? We're anti crap. I've been on every side checking out what people are talking about. Everybody, even Vodacom, even Vodacom, I'm going to call them out, launched an ad yesterday all about woo, supporting women. I think that today's that day where people who have no business, no business trying to act like they're supporting us, trying to act like they're all up uh, with the women's struggle are all up in our faces today. So I thought we're going to switch it up. We're going to take it easy and we're going to have a girl talk. We're going to have real talk up in the studio. And what better way to do that? A couple of weeks ago, I had a really interesting conversation um, with reality TV superstar. I'm sure you've seen her on BET. Love the show that's currently showing on BET on um, DSTV. I don't even know what channel it's on, but I love this show. It's called From the Bottom Up. This chick is so real. This chick is so for real. Um, and she came in the studio and had a chat with me. And that's what I'm sharing with you. The guest that I absolutely had with this girl. Cause I think on a day like International Women's Day, it's a day to celebrate each other. It's a day to be, um, chatting with each other and being real with each other. It's a day to kick off our shoes and really get down to it and stop being about all of the bullshit that everybody in the world, in the workplace, in life, trying to pit us up against each other. This is the way we're celebrating International Women's Day. Shante Foster is a mother to six children. Absolutely, absolutely insane. She is an awesome person, a entrepreneur with all sorts of accolades, different businesses in different area codes, but also wrote a book a couple of years ago about her depression that she had and was very real about it. She's going to chat with us about that as well. She's chatting with us also about an incredibly amazing initiative that she's got running in um, Swaziland that she's been running for the past 10 years. How about that? Not making much noise about uh, the philanthropic philanthropic work that she's out there doing. This is Shante Foster. Does everyone always ask you about the six kids? People do always ask me about the six kids, but the main question is, do they all have the same father? <laughs> it is. I mean, <clears throat> in America, oh gosh, people are going to kill me, but it's not really common to meet a woman that has six children and they all have the same father. So that's like the main question. Like, you have six kids. Do they all have the same dad? I'm like, uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and by the look of you, you look like you started early. No, I didn't start <laughs> early. I started, I had my first... In my late 20s, 28, 29, uh, the throw off is my oldest two are adopted. So I have a 24 and a 26 year old. My 24 year old, he's actually from Swaziland. Uh, so I kind of took him. Don't tell the government. I'm working on that because Donald Trump, the president. So I'm I'm working on his paperwork right now. And, uh, my oldest daughter, her mother died of breast cancer. So I adopted her. So I adopted both of them at 15. So the struggle was real for me because I had like infants and I had some crazy people and they just drove me crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. And the experience, so I only have one child because I, I realized after the first one that I didn't want to lose my mind like that. No, you just didn't want a bill. <laughs> Kids are bills, okay? Big bills. No, I was clear that you, you, there's, there's actually something that happens in the mind of a woman when you're like with little children. That's a little crazy. Mm-hmm. And when there are a lot of them, I could see myself <laughs> properly losing my mind. So did you have a... You've lost your mind. I've lost my mind a lot of times. Um, Actually, Jersey's godmother was selected because my husband is a professional athlete. and He was out of town for a game and we had a big snowstorm and Jordan wouldn't stop crying. Like she would not stop crying. And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to throw this baby against the wall. I'm going to throw this baby against the wall. And so I called my friend Michelle and she drove through a snowstorm. Her car got stuck almost a half a mile away. She 
walked in the snow all the way to my house and was like, give me the baby, give me the baby. And she let me sleep for three days. And so that's how I chose Jersey's Godmother because I was like, girl, you saved the baby for me. And so I have those moments. And so I understand people because people think that when you have bad thoughts, especially when you have children, that it makes you a bad parent. But I believe that... uh what is it? Um, after you have a baby, uh, post postpartum, postpartum is very real. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's very real. And you know, we don't have helpers in America. I wish we did. Oh, please help me. Whoa, whoa, whoa! What? Time out. Okay, you you're not coming in here and saying we don't have helpers in America. Let me get a you're calculator, like, ma'am. Let me tell you're you something. Like a it, let me tell you, wife. No, no, you're no. You are wag. Let me tell how you how you much. Have a mate? Let me tell you how much a, a helper would cost me in. <laughs> America. Hold on, that's times four. You think this is a joke? Times twelve. It's a damn joke. What? Let me tell you something. It'll cost me about ninety-six thousand rand a year. Yeah. So plus. So, so yes. So that's a lot of money. Are you crazy for some help? Yeah. For help with no. six petty children. My mama better come over. My cousin, <laughs> my best friend. Ninety-six thousand rand for some help a year. Stop it. No. <laughs> But okay, so I I need to understand this because no, it might even we be more watch, than that. We are out here uh-huh. watching footballers' wives. We're watching Real Housewives of, and we're seeing the the big lifestyles, and we we know the numbers. Okay, mm-hmm. we've seen what like professional sports people make. Oh, I made a mistake. That's six hundred <laughs> six hundred seventy six thousand. I know I went crazy. Six hundred and seventy six thousand a year. For a helper. So if anybody wants to give me a discount in America, it would cost me 676,000 rand Then you will be in trouble with helper. Donald Trump. You will be in trouble. Aish. But you you have got to... We, I'm telling you that. We watch Cribs. We watch Footballers' Wives. We watch Real Housewives. They be lying on TV, man. And I'm just like, we know what professional sports people make. They lie. They borrow a house. They rent a house. They borrow a car. That's not true. Athletes and entertainers in America are the best actors in the world. Everybody is not rich. Actually, our athletes and entertainers are probably on the lower end of income oftentimes. Even with football, if we just start with football, there's 56 guys on a team, right? Out of 56, 54, I think it is, there's only maybe six millionaires on that team. The average NFL player only makes... And I shouldn't say only, but about 250000 American dollars a year. Uncle Sam takes 20%. The agent takes 20%. That leaves them with about 100000 American dollars. Do you know an American that's working a normal job? can make that amount of money. So it's the perception because they're on television, because you see them at these parties, uh, because of all those things, you think they have money. And that's not true. Actually, our suicide rate for the NFL is amongst some of the highest in all professional sports, because when those guys stop playing, like they go broke and they go broke quick. And so the stories that you see is not that they overspent is that they never had. And so, so this is, this is, a story that is a very real story for South Africans. We read about it in the papers all the time. We watch our stars, our football stars, our actors, our actresses, almost everybody universally that's an entertainer. One of the biggest problems, we've just had um, a very famous gospel musician passed away a couple Mm -hmm. of weeks ago. He didn't even have medical aid. Mm. And and the kind of like Obama. Like yeah, like Obamacare. <laughs> we don't have medical care either, honey. But yeah, I get it. So and and when you say that, the the thing for me, because all the way over here on the other side of the ocean, we see these big lives and we read all these stories and we watch you guys on T V and we think, Oh my God, that's what we aspire to be. Absolutely not. So when you were on Footballers Wives when you were that chick that everybody's watching and going, oh my God, this girl is crazy. <laughs> and I can also vouch that as she then walked in, she's just like the same hurricane. <laughs> no, but listen, Football Wives aggravated me because <clears throat> that was my first rodeo in television over 10 years ago. And they said, Shanita, be you. Reality TV. When I started reality TV, it was only the Kardashians and the Flavor of Love and Basketball Wives. There wasn't 50, 100 reality shows. So there was no standard of what reality TV was. Now, they asked me to be me. 
If you go back and watch that show, it was times I was shooting in the scene. My hair was soaking wet. I just got out the shower. I had a baby on my lap. Jersey was an infant. You said be me. When I would film, I would film with no makeup, no eyelashes, because that was me. Who goes to the store and Christian Lubintons? So you asked me to be me, but on the flip side, the world was against me because everyone was like, oh, she's so broke. She's jealous of Pilar, you know. They have this big house and money and people would meet me after a show and say, oh, my gosh, like you're beautiful in real life. Oh, my gosh, you're not poor. Oh, my gosh, you have jewelry. And I'm like, but that's not what they asked me to portray. So when you look at me in 2017, the girls are making jokes. But every five seconds, I'm like, I'm broken. I'm not broke. I'm broken. I'm not broke. I need y'all to understand I'm not broke because it almost killed me. The tweets uh, back then, we didn't have Instagram, uh, the Facebooks about how I was so broke. I was so ugly. I didn't comb my hair. And don't ask me to do reality TV and not be me. Talk to me about the depression. Ooh, it's real. <laughs> that part, too. I think. And that's why I love being in South Africa. This is really my second home. I've been coming back and forth for 10 years. And I respect the cultures of every tribe, uh, the traditions. But one thing that I've learned when I went through depression is that it's just universal. There's so many likenesses that we have around the world that we think are different. And depression is depression wherever you go. Here's the issue for me. It's still so taboo. And a lot of people are suffering because people won't address the fact that somebody is allowed to have something mentally, spiritually and emotionally wrong with them and not be able to explain it or give it to somebody else. In return, that's like an actual disease. And so these people work, walk around with this hurt, uh, this misunderstanding, and it has the potential to de destruct them. And I tell them all the time, I got out of depression because I had some money. But if you broke and depressed, you got a problem because you have no extra income to say, I don't feel like going to work today because I can't figure this out. I don't feel like getting my kids dressed today. And I realized when I was laying on my face, because I was laying on my face on the closet, on the floor for a long time, that we have to figure out a way to save people and more so our women, because I don't care how much money I have. I don't care what's going on when you're now feel like you're not walking in purpose or you, you, you're you not defined in this world, it's a problem. When you get married, you turn into his wife. You know, I didn't have a name. That bothered me. That's his wife. That's George's wife. I'm like, I got a name. You know, my mother gave me a name. And then you become his mother. Right. Oh, yeah, I was getting there. Girl, then you have kids and it's like, there's Jordan's mom. Like, my kids cheerlead. Don't nobody know my name? I'm Jordan's mom. Yeah, Jersey's mom. in the school. Hi, Kanako's mom. Right. And so. And you have to be nice to the little people. They're not yours. <laughs> but I, I lost myself completely. And I went to sleep and I woke up and. You know, I even told my husband one time, men have it great because men decide whether or not they want to be a father. They absolutely have the choice. They decide whether they want to be a father or a dad or whatever it is you want to call it. Once you birth a child as a woman, you are a mother. I don't care if you give up that child. You are a mother. So I have a thing with my friends about that. You know, it's, it's about breakfast. The analogy for me is the breakfast analogy. It's like the chicken and the pig. So the chicken is like the dad because he's involved. You know, he gives the egg for the breakfast. But if you're the pig, you give yourself to be the bacon. Ah, uh, that's, uh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's the thing about being a mother. Is yeah. It all becomes about all of these people and, and you don't have time to to be anything else, mm -hmm. especially when they're all small. Right. They're still very needy really and follow you to the toilet. Oh. <laughs> I have a joke about that when we started talking about this other company. I'm like, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. I went to the bathroom one day. I was sitting there. Jersey was sitting. Can you imagine sitting on the toilet and a child sitting on your lap? So Jersey's sitting on my lap. I got two on the floor, another one there. My oldest two walk up to the door. Mind you, I have a son. My husband's standing at the door. I'm like, nobody recognizes I'm going to the bathroom, right? Like, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. There's like seven, eight people in here with me. Please, can I go to the bathroom? But, you know, I started drinking the tea. Nobody comes to the bathroom anymore. So I, I, I figured this thing out. So, yeah, mother's not not temporary. So how did you? I, I love the fact that 
you describe it as losing yourself. Oh, you lose yourself. How did you find your way back to yourself? I found my way back. I tell people all the time, the thing that you have to find in life that keeps you moving, and sadly enough, sometimes it might not be your children, is you have to find out what your why is. You have to figure out what your why is. What is the thing that gets you up in the morning? What's that thing that pushes you? What's that thing that fuels you? You know, I tell people all the time, I put in the book, I remember I was laying on the floor because I got guns. I got lots of guns in my house. I'm just letting y'all know I live in America. And I remember I was laying on the bathroom floor and I had a gun next to me. And I'm not one of those people that I think about suicide, but I was thinking about suicide. And if you're a person who really don't want to kill yourself, it's kind of funny because you start processing like all these things in your mind. Like, okay, if I really shoot myself, who gonna do this? Who gonna do that? Who gonna Who's gonna clean up? Girl, I'm a woman thing. Listen, I'm like, who gonna clean this stuff up? <laughs> you know, it's the blood. I mean, Who's it was a, it was the craziest thing for me. And I was laying there and I was like contemplating, and I could find more reason. Listen, I, I I'm a lot of things, but I'm not weak, so that kind of saved me because I'm an athlete. But the thing that happened for me was in that moment. I heard one of my kids coming that way. And for me, for most moments, they're not my why. I'm a very selfish mother. I promise you I'm selfish. They can't even get my last bite of food. Some parents give their kids like their last bite. My kids know, don't ask me for my food. Don't even ask me for the last bite. I'm not that parent. And so for a lot of times, I, I selfishly pick me. But I think in that moment, in that defining moment, I chose them. And so I realized that my why, the thing that could keep me going, is that I chose in that moment, because women, we have a choice when you birth a child. We all know that there's an alternative. I chose to birth and become responsible of each one of those children biologically and adopted. So how selfish and how inconsiderate would it be for me to leave them in that moment and not leave them okay. So a big part of saving me and getting me up off the floor was them, especially having five girls. I'm like, man, they see me completely fall apart. They're going to grow up and realize that at some point I could just fall apart because I see my mother completely fall apart. And so I told people what began to get me up was the why. It was the why. And then once I figured out the why, finding solutions. And my biggest solution was recognizing the things that don't make me happy. If something don't make me happy, it's gone. I don't care what it is. If it's my mama, if you have the potential to take away my inner peace, my inner self-happiness, people call it, you know, giving up or being rude or mean, I'm going to cut you off. People get mad at me now. They start talking to me crazy and it doesn't feel good. I just hang up the phone. I promise. I'll be like, it was a lie. I swear, my phone died. I'm just going to hang up on you. I, I want to talk to you. So you've got to tell me about the title of this book. Girl, I'm not tripping. Girl, I'm not tripping. I'm depressed. That's the truth. Because every time you act out, your friends be like, we use this word in America. It's like, you tripping. Girl, you tripping. Ooh, she tripping. And so when I was going through this, like, I lost some friends and regained them. But uh, shout out to Ebony Electra. She's like one of my best friends at home. And she used to be like, man, you tripping for real. And like, she even stopped talking to me at one point because... I was acting out. I, I wasn't able to express how I felt. You know, I was cussing people out and not being characteristic of myself. And I remember hearing this word all the time. She's crazy. She's tripping. She's losing it. And so when I was like thinking of a title, I was like, I know the title. Girl, I'm not tripping. I'm depressed because I couldn't explain I was depressed. And so that's how I came up with the title. So one of the things I find tremendously fascinating about watching reality TV and even though I'm in the business and understand how scripted and things thrown in and I'm always fascinated to see how black Americans are so the same like black people here in South Africa we, 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 have, we have so many similarities mm -hmm. with each other you know besides just crazy moms besides <laughs> you know besides an alcoholic uncle besides besides all of the stuff that is that has been given to us by the societies that because the society of black South Africans is very similar to the society of black Americans mm -hmm. very marginalized very mm -hmm. shut out of the mainstream for a very long time but I'm I'm always quite interested to know when you came to South Africa all those many years ago for the first time, 
moving from a space where you were a minority and arriving in a country where suddenly people that are like you are the majority. What was that like? It was very interesting. Like I was taken back for for a while because you're like, wow. And you're looking around and <clears throat> I couldn't believe the biggest misconception for Americans like is I feel stupid, but they do. They think when you touch down in Africa, first of all, they just call Africa, Africa. They don't even understand South Africa <laughs> is actually like its own like country. So they just say Africa. And so I had to get rid of that because people would be like, no, you're in South Africa. Then I had to get rid of this misconception that everybody is sick or there's some type of transferable disease because that's what they teach us in our country. You don't go to Africa or South Africa because you're going to get, you know, malaria and HIV, just all these different things that the, the ignorance of it is crazy to me. Then they think when you land, like it's like animals and like monkeys everywhere. Like I swear. And so for me, when I first got here and I walked outside, I was amazed because I was just like an ignorant American. And I had all the ignorant American questions like where the animals at? And people would be like, uh, there's no animals like walking down the street. You got to go to, you know, the game reserve. And I'm like, really? And then to meet people that spoke so well, I tell them all the time, what makes me love South Africa is you guys get up and get dressed. Like you get dressed for the day. Your day starts between 5 a.m. and like 6, 630. Man, I know some Americans that have jobs that sleep all day, okay? <laughs> we have no pride. They can hate me if they want to. I had somebody send me a tweet and say, if you love South Africa so much, don't come back. Because I was doing a comparison. <clears throat> you guys get dressed for the day. I'm pushed and challenged. This right here, if I was going to an interview in America, I would almost be in pajamas. I'm not going to lie. I would have on some pajama pants and a T-shirt, some Uggs. My hair wouldn't be combed because my perception would be no one's radio. It's radio. No one's going to see me. No one cares. And you guys show up and show out even through your worst moments. Last night, I had the opportunity to meet a young lady from the outside. This girl was well put together. Her hair was perfect. I'm talking about her braids were just as neat. It looked like she got her braids done the same day, okay? Makeup, flawless. Her outfit, blazer, a dress, nice shoes. Her nails were manicured. She had a nice bag. I'm looking at this girl. But as the night continues, she begins to talk about her journey and her story. And as she tells the story, she begins begins to cry to say that her mom left, I think, Zimbabwe or something to come and be a helper, be a maid in South Africa to put her through school and how she was embarrassed about, you know, being able to speak about what her mom had to do to put her through school and how her mom had these marks from the bags that she used to carry, you know, doing things in Mozambique. And the moral of the story was you guys dress up and mask the story so well. Well, I had that capability in, in America. When you falling apart, when you broke, when you hurt, you look like it. So it's easy to detect in my country. So I applaud that because if you can get up and get dressed, that's half the battle. You know, a lot of y'all are showing up and showing out when inside you're broken. You come from these backgrounds. Sometimes I didn't even realize some of the women and the men, when you get dressed, they're looking their best. That might be their only outfit. Like that might be their only shirt and tie and blazer, but there's so much pride behind it. And if I could take that to my country, I think we would be so much further ahead because right now we're a joke. You know, my friends, they posted. I'm, I'm 40 years old. I'm allowed to say that. Our youth is a joke. The way they show up places is a joke compared to what it is that you guys have here in this country. So I applaud that. And that was definitely the first thing that I seen because if you can show up for the day, I always tell people 80, 80 to 85% of life is just showing up and you guys show up every day. And when you decided to start the NGOs, so when you, when you got involved with all the helping, with all the, the good work, the philanthropy, the feel good stuff, what was your main motivator for doing that it was my purpose yeah 
and not at home. Ash, I would never give back at home. I, I, <laughs> we had that conversation. If you poor in America, you're not poor. I, I wish we would stop using that word. Poor in America is not poor. Poor in America is, you know, shout out to Jasmine Crow. I apologize again. She runs Black Celebrity this, Giving. Hold on. Is this Aish? Like, Aish. Is that a real thing? Yeah. Is that a real thing? Like, I can't see you from here. I'm telling you. that. No. Nay. Nay. Oh, I haven't used true me yet. I have all the words, you know. I I, I pull a piece of everything from yeah, everywhere. No, that's when you pulled it off again. No, pulled I'm telling you. Had a you moment, I had me. to do a double take. I'm trying to tell you, but in America, my friend Jasmine, they feed the homeless, right? And so I was like, oh, I'll come feed the homeless with you. Do you understand? We start making these plates, and I began to eat. They were eating lobster tails, shrimp alfredo. Steak, potato. <laughs> it was to the homeless people. And I'm like, huh? And she partnered <clears throat> with like four and five star restaurants that at the end of the night, all of their food or whatever is given to the home. Like our homeless is not homeless. And it, the people don't realize in America, a lot of those people, if they're homeless, they choose to be homeless because we have so many programs, so many shelters. And even when it, it's just it's different. Now, let's talk about me being in South Africa or me being in Swaziland, when you don't have the capacity to get a drink of water, that is poverty at another level. I remember when I was in Swaziland and water wasn't delivered to one of my care points. And so it just so happens I'm out there for the day and we videoed the whole thing. I said, so where do we go to get the water? They're like, oh, the women have to walk. I said, okay, cool. I'm going to walk with them. So everybody looking at me crazy. I'm like, if y'all could do it, I can do it. We literally almost walked two miles. I don't know how many kilometers or whatever, but it was two miles for me as an American. Got to this water put the water in the buckets, put it on my head. I have the video. They're walking with no hands. I'm holding the bucket. So now my arms are tired. I'm walking back. But then when we get back, I still couldn't drink the water because the water wasn't clean. So now we have to put this water and then we got to boil this water, right? I mean, we like two hours into this process. And then after we boil the water, we have to wait for the water to cool off. Now, mind you, it's about a good 100 degrees outside, so it's already hot outside. So the chance of this water, like, cooling extra fast is not going to happen. Three hours into this process, I'm really crying at this point. They're thirsty. I'm thirsty. Now, I could have really got a bottle of water out of the car, but I'm trying to follow this process. And then by the time the water cool, we got to drink a water. That's poverty. Like, you could go anywhere in America, anywhere. I don't care. And get clean water. So for me, it was that. And then by my husband being an athlete, we used to give so much. It'll be a back-to-school drive, and we would hand out backpacks. And I remember I would hand a kid a backpack for free with stuff in it for free, and they would be like, I don't want blue. Do you have red? (laughs) I don't want yellow. Do you have green? I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'm giving you something for free. And you're telling me what you don't want? And so my level of wanting to give back, it, it just changed. It just changed. So you've got a school. You've got lots of programs that you, you run and care points. And there's a lot of things. And and when I was looking at all of them and, and reading about them and reading through them and the impact that it has, because the idea, and as you say, for a lot of people, the idea of this meal that this child gets here today is going to be the only meal that this child is going to have until tomorrow mm-hmm. when they come back here mm-hmm. to have this meal is is an unfathomable. It's unfathomable that they eat the same thing almost 365 days a year. And that part right there, I mean, because in the morning they have like a... Um, a porridge, I don't know what they call it, but it has like kind of like that cinnamon flavor. It's very bitter. Uh, but they have like that cereal in the morning. And then, you know, in the afternoon, they have popping beans. I mean, that's what's cheap. That's what I can afford for the masses. And I'm a picky eater. You know, people don't understand how blessed you are when you even have a food choice. But these children eat the same thing like every day. And it's only when we get 
extra donations when I could kill a cow or, you know, it's only when we get extra donations when I could buy fruit. And so you don't really realize how much you take for granted until you got to eat the same thing. Like we're going to go for if it's 365 days in a year. Let's just say 350 of those days they eat the same exact thing. And the school? The school. When I say school, it's so funny. People be thinking like it's an oversized school. It's not an oversized school. <laughs> I let them think that. What do you, wait, what do you think of the Oprah comparison? Because this is one of my one of my bugbears about about comparisons. I mean, is that it creates this perception that. There can only be one good black woman doing philanthropy at a time. And so this is the new Oprah. This is taking the place because, God forbid, there should be two different people doing stuff that helps people. I think I think it's so big for her because she paid the way um, visually for black people or African-Americans or wherever you want to say. I don't believe she was the first I'm pretty sure there was somebody else out there that did the same thing that I've done, which was, you know, take your own personal money, your own personal finances and 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 do what we're doing. I just think hers was on such a large scale and trust and believe, you know, because I respect Oprah so much, I have to tread lightly because I want to be on Oprah show one day. (laughs) But um, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything. Uh, that was done in the process of that school. Let me say that the, 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 the nicest way that I can say it is I, I'm a believer and a respecter of culture. Um, when I do things for the people in Swaziland or anywhere, I do it in the likeness of their eyes. I don't go in trying to dictate or tell them how something should be or how it should be done or use the word better. If you can follow me, uh, meaning that even within the school process, I allowed them to do it. I just financed it. There wasn't, okay, you're going to do it this way because this is the best way because I'm American and I know it is. It was no, okay, let's see here together. What works for you? That's how it was for me. And even with my school, people are like, oh, you should go get indoor plumbing. I'm like, for what? I'm like, these kids go home and they're going back to huts and they're using the bathroom outside. So oftentimes we think that we're giving people things to make a situation better. But often, oftentimes it causes division. It causes conflict. And it causes a loss of the culture and tradition, which I think needs to be upheld. So that's the nicest way I could kind of put it. I don't I mean, I mean, we can use Madonna. I I use her because I ain't worried about Madonna. You know, that was wrong. You don't take somebody's land and tell them to move because I think this is the best spot, you know, for me to put up a school. And I don't think that school went up, did it? When she took those people land and tried to pay them money. I'm like, come on now. You just can't come from another country and impose your ways and your money on people. I didn't think that was cool. I was very hurt. I was very aggravated. And I wasn't even in that country. Find another piece of land where you don't have to take somebody from their home or their environment. You know, I don't like this, the, the, the division part. And to say that I'm going to take somebody away from their family or their loved ones because this is going to be better for them. AKA y'all know who I'm talking about. Just follow the story. I just, <laughs> I just don't think that's cool. You get what I'm saying? So for me, um, that, that was the difference. So to steal the words of the amazing Algero, the gift is always unto the giver. So what have you received in return for what you have given? I think it's for me in my spiritual moments, pleasing God, because this could only be purpose driven for me. I tell people all the time because I'm that girl. I'd be like, do you think I was thinking about you? Like you have to, no, for real. Like I have to cuss people out sometimes. Like when they start acting crazy, I'm like, do you think I was thinking about coming to this hut in Swaziland trying to bring you a bucket of food? This wasn't on my, my agenda. This was nothing but God. So you need to recognize and understand that the only reason I'm, I'm standing here is because I was sitting here. How can my American mind process that I'm supposed to get on a plane, leave my children, leave my family, leave my work to fly 17 hours to land, drive four more hours to come assist you? Huh? 
That has to be purpose. That's why even on this show, it hurt me so bad if you were missing the the arguments. And I think last night was the episode when Christelle said she gives back to Africa and Swaziland so she can have something to post on Instagram. What? I'm like, yeah, like, I, like if you missed the argument, it was because I was so hurt. I've given so much of myself following and doing what God asked me to do. And so that part of the journey, that was purpose led. You know, my family suffers. You know how much money I could really have in my pocket right now? We did the quick math. <laughs> I gave Swaziland like a million American dollars. Do you know what I could do with a million American dollars right now? And so that that's only push through purpose and so for this show they didn't have anything to pick at me with i wasn't broke <laughs> so it I was still, that part of the fact i minutes. still wasn't i still i wasn't broken because i'm through that phase i was on the show to talk about what happened and how i got through it so the only thing they could find in that pocket of things was either me selling the tea which made me over 8.7 million rand so i'm confused about how something that make you 8.7 million rand could be a joke and what I do for South Africa and Swaziland. Those were the only two things that they knew could push my buttons. And so if you watch closely enough and you see me screaming or I'm yelling or I'm crying, if you listen in between those pockets, it's because you're taking the thing that's closest to me. Even with us arguing about the charity event, that's how they lured me on the show. Talking about we want to do something for Swaziland and we want to talk about depression. I think something's distorting in my ears. Was that distorting in your ears? No, I didn't hear anything. You didn't hear the distortion? No. Okay, I'm just going to remind Balesa. Okay. Because something distorted in my ears a little bit. Okay. Um, talking about pushing buttons. <laughs> That's the crux of reality TV. That's the whole way it functions. I tell people we, all the it, time. It must be about pushing your buttons. It's about finding it's the about one thing. finding you in those moments where you're so vulnerable or you're so exposed or you have completely forgotten that you're being watched by millions of people and then just like Do you believe, listen, I didn't show up at that table when I stood up and started screaming, This is my real life. That wasn't my my day to say I want to go off on people, but when I tell people what reality TV is, just like you said, if I'm mad at you and I don't like you, we work it out how we need to work it out. It may happen in a day, may happen in a week, it may happen in a month. Now let's talk TV. Me and you are mad at each other. They're going to make sure they put us in the same room until yeah. we work it out. I, I need to see it in those 24 minutes because why else am I tuned in? You can't, <laughs> you can't work it out. Some of us scream, yell, and I was trying to be appropriate. I, I, I don't like to curse on TV. I think I cursed in that moment. You know, people don't even know I curse in real life. So it's kind of, I'm a motivational speaker. Like I'm so, always talking about God. I'm going to be running around cussing people out. It's like you don't know the real me. So that's what, I, and that's the thing about pressing the buttons is how much how much of what people see is self-censored. So it's, you are aware of the fact you're curating this entire thing because people are watching you. You're creating a persona. You're creating a brand. You're, crea you're a motivational speaker. You're a mother. Everybody has access to this stuff. Your kids, friends, all of that. So how much of that is consciously every night you try about tomorrow we're shooting and wh what am i not i'm not gonna get into that zone you say that but it doesn't work that's why the best reality shows like <laughs> i haven't watched but i heard this season the housewives of atlanta has gotten so real and so disrespectful it's crazy uh i run candy birds uh foundation her non-for-profit she's my neighbor i can honestly say i'm friends with Candy. Some of those other people, associates, I know them for being on TV. Um, you know, me and Nene have a good relationship. Um, but this year it got real because people are pushing people's buttons. And so when you show up talking about people's past relationships and who they slept with and, you know, even if someone's not cheating, imagine your relationship is perfect and now somebody trying to tell you that your husband cheating on you. You're trying to figure out, is it true? Is it not true? Is she doing this to push my buttons? That's a whole lot 
to try to process in the moment and the whole world is watching you. You don't have time to do your research or investigate. Do I defend him? Do I not defend him? Is it going to make a fool of me later on? You got to figure that all out in a moment's notice. And and the thing about the most basic arguments, I think one of the most basic arguments at the beginning, at least, of the reality TV sensation was how women are pitted against each other in these shows. So you're compared to each other, you're, you're put up against each other, you're, you know, the, 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 the mini universe that is created in that particular show is one that says all these girls are just money-grabbing hoes. They're all just trying to get to the next tier. they like climbing the ladder. They're pulling each other down. They're all of those things because that's the most base. It's sad because even with From the Bottom Up, I thought this was it for me. Me and Nikki Gilbert are friends. Nikki Gilbert's from, you know, Brownstone. If you love me, say it. You know, that's her song. So me and Nikki are from the same hometown. And she approached me to do first season of From the Bottom Up. I was like, I can't do that, friend. She's like, why? I was like, I've never been to jail. All them girls been locked up. They've been to jail. I'm, I'm cool, Nikki. She's like, no, you would make great TV. I'm like, no, 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 no. Then she doubles back season two. She tricked me. Just come be a friend on the show. I'm still like, no. Then she's like, we want to talk about black mental health. You suffer from a depression. My is bipolar. So now she has my attention. Like, Shanita, you're best at telling your story. You can free some people. So I'm like, maybe. Then she says, we're going to do an event for Swaziland, Africa. I'm like, I'm in. So we're going to do an event, talk about depression, and I get a check for Oreo it. buttons. I'm in. Here's the problem. I'm thinking to myself, Shanita, you're a pro at this. This is not your first rodeo. From being on Football Wives to being extendedly on Housewives of Atlanta, I was part of Candy's whole wedding special, you know, being a friend of the show. I've been on R&B Divas with, you know, uh, Nikki and uh, Faith Evans. I, I'm, I've been on all these shows now. You have this. 40 years old, because I'm turning 40 this year, you got this, okay? You know how to go in, you know how to act, you know what TV is. Then you forget. I get there and you have no c control over five other people. And to this day, if you ask any one of the people on that show why they don't like me, they don't have a valid reason. I didn't sleep with their husband, their man. I didn't steal anything from them. I didn't disrespect them. If you watch closely enough, I didn't call their mama no name. It's just a perception of, like you said, women not having the capacity to want to get along. What did I do to y'all? I did absolutely nothing but got dressed and showed up. Got dressed, showed up, and I was happy. To be there. So when you watch the scenes, it's like, I'm not sure if I like Shanita. I don't know about this Shanita. I'm like, but what did I do? But take you to a $3.5 million cabin that invited you to my ranch where we ride horses and black people really don't own horses in America. Like, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want from me? Black people in South Africa do. They do. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> if you own a horse in America and you black, that's like big. <laughs> Black and bougie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, um, so, Shanita, you've got five girls. Yes. Speaking of girls can't get along, <laughs> how do you keep peace in your house? Uh, they fight a lot. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, first of all, my kids are homeschooled now. So, yeah. You don't have a maid and you're homeschooling. Good God. This All I have is a homeschool coach, and my coach probably <laughs> hates me because I've been gone for about 25 days. She's probably like, what is going on? Um, I homeschool my kids. Why? I, I could never put my, I would go to jail. I, I would be locked up in the really? state of the world. I, I would go to jail. There were too many instances that happened with my children being in school, not even public school private school because of I, your reality team no just because of, of kids and nothing to do with me you know um my kids are free spirits because of who i am so my kids don't like to wear shoes i don't know if i adopted that from being in south africa or swaziland they don't like to wear shoes uh they're very into their natural hair 
to be in America. I didn't even have to teach them that. That's just who they are. Um, very eclectic kids. So when you try to merge that into a society and a school system, they were disrespected often for being loving and caring and wanting the best. You know, my daughter came home one day and was like, Mommy, we need to get some perm. I was like, who got a perm around here? She said, the kids at school said my hair nappy. What is nappy? My kids didn't even process the concept of a negative connotation because there are none in my household. And so I had to realize that I had to protect that world. Some people say where you're messing them up when they go out into the real world, then they won't be able to survive. But I was able to survive. I have the type of heart that I believe everybody is good until something is bad. I don't walk up to people and just think the bad, the worst. And people, I think the good. And even when I find the worst, they hear my stories all the time. I have friends that were strippers and credit card thieves and dropped out of high school and all of it. But I still believe the best for them. And so for my kids, I'm like, listen, like after somebody spit on one of my kids and smacked another one and it was like three of them together and they couldn't like beat them up. I'm like, okay, I'm going to jail. I was like, today is the day that I'm going to go to jail because I ain't because I'm going to beat somebody up over my kids. I was like, we just have to homeschool because, you know, the world that I create for them is the world that is good. And they love people and they love giving back to, you know, Africa and cultures. And th that's who they are. They don't know bad rap songs. You know, it, it bothers me that a kid don't know math. But you sing in the words. Every, I would beat one of my kids to the ground if they any time they start singing the song. I was I'm like, what's eight times eight? <laughs> you see, I told you it's black mothers. Yeah. <laughs> Like, huh? And I still believe in beating kids. In America, you go to jail. That's another part. I can't send my kids to school. You do something wrong to me, I'm hitting you. And I'm not hitting you because I'm trying to enforce, quote, uh, corporal punishment. You're hitting with love. But, no, I need you to understand you're going to respect me. Like, we, we have to have this level of respect. You know, right now, this is a dictatorship, okay? <laughs> this is not what you want to do, and we're going to have a conversation. For a while, this is a dictatorship, okay? Oh, Lord. I'm serious. Like my mother. This is a dictatorship. <laughs> That's not your room. Them not your clothes. That's not your bed. I bought it all. It's a dictatorship, okay? And even my adult children. Let me tell you something. I heard you say a bad word. I'm not going to cuss. My son from Swaziland, it came the day where I told him I had to get him beat up because I knew I couldn't beat him up but I had to get him beat up so he could understand you would never cross me my son told me one day I said something to him he said shut up talking to me I said who are you talking to he said say something to me again and see what happened I said watch this watch this I'm going to get you effed up today I can't beat you up but you're going to get effed up today Cause you're going to understand that I'm your mother, whether I birthed you or I didn't. And you're going to respect me. And I made sure he got beat real good. We'll have no problems to this day, to this day. I need you to understand that old school saying I, could, I brought you in this where I could take you out. <laughs> I didn't birth him, but I needed him to know that if I need to take you out, I got a whole tribe <laughs> of people that's willing to die to take you out for disrespect. It's the same thing with my daughter. I beat her, too. And she called the police on me. I beat her bad because anytime a child feels like they can stand toe to toe and, and we got a problem, you're not going to disrespect me. So I made sure she hit every cabinet in my kitchen. Like I literally picked her up and threw her into every single cabinet so we could have an understanding that you would not disrespect me. And when you think about the kids you are raising, <laughs> she's rolling her eyes. <laughs> Call them all right now. They're gonna tell you my mama is crazy. <laughs> we have no problems. But but as you as you are raising this group of children, and and one of the most fascinating things I've ever heard about being a parent is that you are raising children and preparing them to be successful in a world that doesn't exist. So you don't know the world that they have to be successful in because it's, mm -hmm. think about the world we live in. It's nothing like the world our parents lived in and we have to survive it and we have to succeed in it. What is the most valuable thing that you believe you've given to that group of children? That I, I saw, I don't think I, each one of them, I haven't identified it, but a majority of them, I see their purpose 
and I see what they're called to be early on. Majority of the time that's taken away from a lot of us with our parents dictating what our lives are supposed to be. You know, many people in South Africa and finance and they want to do finances because it's what their mama and daddy told them they're supposed to do. And so they like slingshot and miss their purpose. My daughter's adopted. When she went to college, we were sitting there and she was getting ready to fill out the forms. And the lady said, what you going to major in? And she said, pre-ed, pre-med. And I told the, I said, lady, excuse me, can you get out the room for a second? Cause I, thought was, I did. I was like, ma'am, can you excuse us? I looked at my daughter. I said, pre-med. I said, Amber, how are you going to do pre-med? You can't pass math and you dumb in science. I would never come to you to be a doctor. What makes you think you're going to be a doctor? She said, mom, I don't know. Ever since I was little, people used to say, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a doctor because that's what we do as parents. I said, but what do you want to do? And my daughter's like, oh, I want to take pictures and, you know, I want to travel the world. And so I tapped into what made her happy. You remember we were talking about the whole depression? My daughter will probably never be a depressed a day in her life because she's doing what makes her happy, regardless of how much she's being paid. Jada, since the time she could talk, has said she wants to be a veterinarian. I tap into that. I work hard. So my daughter, even at eight years old, she's nine now. My daughter goes to the best programs in the entire world. I've flown to SeaWorld so she can learn about whales. I have a membership to the zoo. My daughter knows every animal, when they've been born. Do I care about that stuff? No. Could I be a parent that says black girls are not zookeepers or black girls? No, I'm serious. Could I, I could be the mom that says, you know, black, black girls don't swim with whales. You know what I mean? Like, like, that's not even really our thing. But she was born to do that. And I believe it. And so I feed into that so she could be the best her. Animals make my daughter happy. I, I'm not an animal person. But we have two dogs. We have a cat. We have a turtle. We got a pony. We had a guinea pig, Michael and Jackson. Michael died. Jackson was still living. We had, listen, it's giving her who she is. My daughter Jordan will be in cosmetology. I had a black woman tell me one time, my daughter said, you know that, what do you want to be when you grow up? My daughter said, I want to do hair and nails. Slave pulled me aside. She was like, you're fine with your daughter just wanting to grow up and do hair. I said, ma'am, she didn't say she wanted to work at a salon. I'm her mama. You understand? She goes, she might own the salon, two or three or four of them. I got a friend right now that sells hair that's a millionaire. So we can't discount what our children want to be. And I think that's the biggest gift I've given them. You are certainly a woman, a woman, and this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you for coming through. Thank you for coming yeah. through. You're definitely not like those girls. Am I a Zulu girl? I like that song. <laughs> oh, I love a Zulu girl. Uh, uh, yeah, I love a Zulu girl. So I'm a Zulu girl now today. Are you a Zulu girl today? I am. What's a Zulu word? I don't know. Th- Sanabu Nani is Zulu, right? Yes, that is a greeting in Zulu. But here's the word. Okay. Womandla. 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 Woman, close enough. Say it one more time. I'm no, Say it, say it, say it. I'm Janita, and you're listening to Woman. What? Hey, it's Shanita Foster from From the Bottom of BT Channel 129, and you're listening to Womanla. You got it right. Well done. Thanks, girls. Cliffcentral.com.